The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou and welcome to Business is Boring. One of the coolest flowerings of creativity and growth in business here over the last decade has been in the thriving craft beer scene, with more than 260 breweries now up and down Aotearoa, offering inventive flavours, branding and collaborations, meaning there's always something new to try. One of the leaders of this industry has been Garage Project. They started with a wild burst of 24 beers in 24 weeks in 2011, some of which are still mainstays, and have gone on to innovate in wine, partnerships and sustainability initiatives. To talk the journey, being one of the world's top breweries, and what's next, co-founder and head brewer Pete Gillespie joins us now. Tanakwe Pete. Kia ora Simon, how are you? Hey great, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. I do need to, I need to make a confession uh, and that confession is that when I saw this podcast was called Business is Boring, just seeing the word business, I suddenly had a little cold shiver and wondered whether you'd actually chosen the correct person to talk to because I never actually think of myself as being a business person. Now, that probably means I'll either be fantastic in this interview or an absolute dud. I hope it's the former, <laughs> not the latter. <laughs> well, no, that's the exact point of it. And, the, you know, the whole goal of this is that, you know, as a co-founder of one of the top, uh, you know, breweries in the world, like, that's that's the business journey right like it's the creativity and the pulling it together and the making it work and the releasing the products and knowing the world and it's all business right yes it is it is and, and that's the thing I mean it actually it gave me a little moment of reflection and I was like well yes I suppose I suppose I am but don't tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> love it well tell us how you came to start the brewery in a garage in Tearo you know and and it was very nearly an Aussie success story rather than a New Zealand one, hey? Absolutely. Look, I mean, you probably need to go back even further. And it's worth just pausing at the very beginning and having a little bit of a think about beer itself because I feel like beer is – there's something special about it, it, it especially brewing. It gets under people's skin uh, and it makes people leave jobs – that are well-paid and secure, and it makes them throw themselves uh, into a world of chaos where they'll probably never achieve the same uh, financial rewards. Um, you know, I think I read somewhere there's a sort of a, a term in Japan for called a, otaku. Are you familiar with that word? I mean, it can have a negative connotation, but it also refers to something that's far more than a hobby. It becomes an obsession, and I really feel like brewing is one of those things. I was chatting to one of my young brewers. Uh, he just got back from holiday and I, and I knew that he'd done some home brewing on holiday and I was like, oh, how did it all go? And he said, oh, I just had this moment where I realised I was standing there in a shed in 30-something degrees, sweating, 
doing this brewing and all my friends were at the beach having fun. And I thought, what am I doing? And I think that just, it just sums up what happens to you when you get addicted to the art of brewing. And for me, it started at an incredibly young age. My grandfather was a home brewer and I used to help him when I was tiny. You know, I used to stir, stir the bucket. And I think there was just always a real magic around it for me. Um, and, and that just stuck with me for a long time. Um, and then, you know, eventually I made the decision that I, I really needed to pursue it as a career rather than just sort of a hobby. Um, and so, yes, I mean, I, I, I packed in a, a perfectly good job uh, and I went over to the UK and I brewed at a couple of breweries over there, real ale breweries. At the time, I felt like that was, you know, this was quite a long time ago. This was just, you know, back in 2000. Um, and I felt like, you know, that was a place uh, where I felt there was some very interesting, different types of brewing. So I brewed there. I brewed at a place called Breakspears and another brewery called Hepworth & Co. Then I moved back to Australia where I'd been living uh, and I brewed with a malt shovel, uh, which is actually part of the Lion Nathan's enormous mega empire. Uh, brewed there. Um, but I think I always really, really at the heart of it, wanted to have my own brewery uh, and to be able to brew my own products. Um, and so I tried for probably three years to get a brewery set up in the Blue Mountains, uh, which I don't know if you've ever been to. It's the most, it is a magical spot. Uh, and I was just, you know, so passionate about this. I was going to start this brewery in the Blue Mountains, but I've never come across bureaucracy, anything like the bureaucracy that existed back then, definitely, uh, in New South Wales. Um, we don't want to be cruel about Australia, but New South Wales is a convict state uh, and, and I think a lot of their bureaucracy is still rooted uh, in, a, in that kind of mentality. Lovely people I dealt with, but, you know, there was no outside the box uh, and I really, it was just, it, it was like banging your head against a brick wall. So I... To take a respite from this, I mean, I'd been commuting down to Sydney 100 k's each way to work at a brewery down there while I was trying to do this. It was quite exhausting. And I came over to see my brother, Ian, who was living in Wellington, and I was just staggered. There was this amazing, flourishing craft beer culture in Wellington, but really no breweries. Uh, there used to be a Max brewery uh, down the end of Taranaki Street, um, but I knew having, you know, I worked at Lyons, so I knew that they, they, they made the decision to pull that brewery out, uh, which, and at the time I was like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you give up that, that coveted position of being the only brewery in what seemed to be the heart of, of the craft beer community of New Zealand? So it felt like there was a vacuum. Uh, I, I was exhausted by trying to set something up in Australia. Uh, and so, yeah, I threw everything in and came over to to Wellington. Uh, one of the big parts of that was um, one of my brother's, my brother's best friend, lifelong friend, is Joss Ruffle, who uh, had nothing to do with beer other than enjoying drinking it, uh, in moderation, of course. Um, he was in uh, the area of sort of business development. He was working with a computer games company at the time, um, but had a real passion for craft beer. So, you know, he and I got talking along with my brother and yeah, look, uh, I, like, as I said, I sold my house in Australia, um, came over and threw everything into trying to get something set up here. And it's so wild that, you know, Wellington, I think at that time I saw a stat somewhere was drinking more than half the craft beer in the country. 
56% or 57% of all the craft beer in New Zealand was being consumed in Wellington. That's staggering, staggering given the population. It's tiny, you know, it's a tiny population. And I mean, it would have been a fraction of the, that population who are actually drinking the craft beer. I think what Wellington has is a, a real culture of early adopters, you know, people who are incredibly excited by seeing what other people do and are only too quick to try and you know get in there and and support them i mean there's an when we arrived when i arrived and to set up garage project you know obviously there were no breweries uh but there was this incredible coffee culture uh all of these amazing coffee roasters um so you know that that culture was was really bedded down here uh, and supported by everyone so it really i don't think it was an enormous step for people to then you know suddenly sort of you know look at craft beer as well mm. and so so kind of like a receptive audience for the idea of craft beer but Absolutely. like beer it's kind of it's kind of wild hey how beer had had such a long run of being so homogenized and so standardized and you know the biggest difference being whether it was in a brown or a green bottle when the history of beer you know which you would have you know um, explored so much in the UK had been that every parish and every pub had a different um, brew and you'd make your beer with whatever flowers and berries you had around and you know if the reason that you had like house beer is that you had this incredible variety and um, people's own personal touches and then we'd lost that in the standardized world I know Simon I have to say I mean that's one of the things that draws me has always drawn me to beer you know winemaking the the, this uh, there's a lot of rules you know uh, how you know what you can and can't do uh but with beer it has traditionally always been a product which it calls out for creativity. It's about creating something that's balanced and people will reach for and use whatever is around to balance that beer out. Beers have been made with, you know, uh, yarrow, wormwood, you know, fruits, herbs, anything that people could get their hands on, uh, they've used it in beer. And I think it's always been like a very household product you know people made it at home um and look i've always loved that creativity people sometimes look at garage project and say oh look at them you know pushing the boat out but you know really you know we're not creating that that sort of innovation it's it's an extension of something that has been going on since the 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 very beginnings of beer um but you're right i mean it, there was a lot of homogenization i have to say though that new zealand compared to a lot of other countries always had quite a lot of small breweries per head of population i mean if you compare it to you know the us and even australia you know, when we started Garage Project, there were actually already, you know, quite a few cool breweries making really, really very good beer. Um, you know, the likes of Emerson's, um, you know, there were quite a few around. But what they were all doing was they were they, they were all very true to type. You know, they would have, you know, they would have a Pilsner, they would have, uh, you know, a pale ale and a stout, just very stylistically pure. Um, and so, you know, Joss and I very early on made a decision that we, you know, what was the point in just trying to be another brewery doing the same kind of thing? Um, and and I felt that it was incredibly important for us to be doing something that was actually remarkable, you know, quite something that would 
would distinguish us, um, not not in a kind of a not in a cheap way, not through stunts, but just, you know, through, you know, opening up and being creative. I'd worked in much bigger breweries where, you know, you are, you're trying to recreate exactly the same beer over and over again. And I never regret the time that I spent doing that kind of thing. You know, the science of making sure that your beer tastes exactly the same each time is incredibly worthwhile. Uh, But it it was really quite exciting to be able to then just have creative freedom to be able to really let your imagination go and and push the limits of what was possible. Yeah. And that first, you know, the origin myth, which, you, you know, you must have talked about a lot over the years, but I, I love it, right? Like the, the 24 beers in 24 weeks and, you know, quite small volumes of some of them. Hey, but like, yeah, t- tell me about that approach and how, you, you know, it's wild that some of those are still are still like mainstays. Yes, yes. I mean, Joss, Joss and I, neither of us had any money to speak of, really. Uh, and we managed to inveigle our way into this derelict service station in in Aro Valley, which, I mean, if you've never been there, it's this kind of like dark, moist, temperate rainforest that somebody decided was a good idea to settle. Uh, it, but it's a, it's a community that's incredibly colourful and fun. I've always been quite drawn to it. So we, in this absolutely derelict service station that we tidied up, I spent, you know, months just cleaning it, scraping it. But we started off with, like, literally, a, it, it was a home brew kit. I mean, it was the best one we could get our hands on, but it would brew literally one keg of beer at a time. But we'd end up with basically 40 litres of beer, so not even a whole keg. It'd be two 20-litre kegs of beer. Um, and, you know, I think, I mean, to be absolutely honest with you, Simon, I think that my partner said, oh, why don't you just brew a new beer every week? And I was like, oh, God, no, you couldn't do that. That's crazy. And then I was like, oh, well, actually, you know, you probably could. And so we, look, we did. We set that with six months where we would brew a brand new beer each week. Uh, and really, you know, push push the boundaries. And we would take these kegs down. We we made a decision. There was a bar called Hashigazaki, which is still there in Wellington. And, uh, you know, if you're in Wellington visiting, do go there, uh, have a pint. We decided that that really, that was the, the pointy end, the, the the bleeding head of craft beer in, in Wellington. And we decided that was the spot that we wanted to be. So every Tuesday, I would, I would rush down there with these two 20-litre kegs of beer, uh, and we would put them on at 5 o'clock. Um, and, you know, and basically through this process of delivering innovative beers every week, uh, we developed this cult following who would turn up. And if, you know, if you weren't there on the night, quite often you wouldn't get to try the beer because it would vaporise. Um, and, you know, it, it was, for me... Uh, on one side, an amazing opportunity to just absolutely let loose uh, all the creative ideas that have been floating around in my head for ages. Um, but it was also terrifying. I mean, Simon, I can't, I can't actually, I can't over-exaggerate just how shit-scary it was because there were literally, you would end up with 40 litres. So there really wasn't even, sometimes there wasn't even enough beer left to even have a proper glass of it ourselves before we took it down there. So it would almost be, I mean, obviously I've had tiny sips from the fermenter to make sure everything was okay. Um, But sometimes it was as much a revelation to us as it was to all the punters. And it was, it was terrifying. And we, 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 
had these little coasters where people could write their responses. Um, so it was also laying yourself bare um, to people and, and, you know, inviting criticism, um, you know, and obviously, yeah, look, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I have to say it's, it's very, one thing I find fascinating, it, you could make a beer that offends no one quite easily, you know. You can make these, you know, great to drink, easy peasy, offends nobody. There's something far more far more deeply satisfying creating a beer that really divides people you know you know some people are going to hate it but equally some people will absolutely love it and you know quite a few of the beers in the 24 24 were beers like that beers where people you know some people just lost their mind they loved it and other people just really, really couldn't cope with it. Um, one of my favourite bits of feedback, uh, probably the most divisive beer we did for the whole 24, was a green coffee bean saison. So we'd been working with People's Coffee to do another beer. Um, and while I was there, I was smelling these green coffee beans, unroasted green coffee beans. And they got an amazing, interesting kind of fruity aroma. It was like nothing. I'd never really experienced green coffee beans. And I was like, gosh, I reckon that'd be really amazing in a saison, um, you know, which are already spicy and interesting. So I made this saison. And as far as I was concerned, it was a, a roaring success because it was really infused with the flavor of green coffee beans. Just turns out that a lot of people don't like the flavor of green coffee beans. <laughs> There's a very good reason why people roast them. Um, so, you know, some of the responses were like just, I mean, one of the one person was like, this beer is disgusting. You should be a brewer, not a chef. You know, you should have tipped this down the drain. And, you know, my initial response was to feel, you know, a little bit bruised and upset. But then I was like, fuck, no, no. You know, I think if no one tried new things, you know, we would never have had any of the styles that we have today. It's very important to push the boat out uh, and to, to to really, you know, see what's possible. And I have to say, at the end of the 24-24, we got people to rate the beers that they loved and the ones that they didn't. And there was someone for whom that green coffee bean saison was their number one beer. They that, They loved it. They thought it was incredible. Yeah. That's so, that's so great. And that idea of, you know, try something new has been at the heart of what you do as a as a business. Hey, to always um, stay inventive. Absolutely. I think we've always tried to take the path that, that hasn't been travelled, you know, like try and do things differently, not just with the beer, but in fact, like really the way we've done everything. Um, I mean, we, we chose very early on to try and self-distribute rather than, you know, go through a distributor in New Zealand. We felt like that was really important to have that immediate connection with the customers. Um, you know, we, we exported to Melbourne before we exported to Auckland, um, <laughs> which sounds bizarre, but at the time we really felt like there was a almost a cultural connection between Melbourne and Wellington. They they both were sort of, we felt like they had that similar spirit of being, you know, early adopters and, and we felt like Auckland was still sort of, you know, maybe not quite ready for some of the things we were doing. I mean, it's absolutely changed now, as you know. Um, but yeah, we were sending beers to Australia before we sent them to Auckland, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, look, we've always tried to do that. Um, 
The downside of it, obviously, is it makes everything incredibly difficult because you're not going by a rule book. You're writing, you're writing your own rules as you go along. Um, so, yeah, it definitely, definitely creates a rod for your own back. Just to talk about some of the kind of beers, because, um, I, I mean, one of the things that I've been fascinated about is a lot of things that became kind of mainstream fashionable had been sitting in the Garage Project uh, mainline for years. So, you know, party and bullshit, um, the lovely juicy kind of hazy, that had a um, kind of flavour profile that became the most successful thing in the country about five years later. What's your approach to picking what you lead with? And, you know, are you ever surprised when something that was quite out there as a, you know, um, texture and flavour profile then becomes the most popular thing in the country? I mean, gosh, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? The rise of the hazy. Um, I went to a fishing shop the other day to buy some bait and there was this salty old sea dog serving me and we got chatting and I said, oh, what kind of beers do you enjoy? And he was like, oh, I'm really into my hazies. It blew my mind that that the the rise of haze has got to the point where you can go and buy some pilchards from a salty old sea dog and know that that's his favourite beer. I mean, at the time, it's interesting. I mean, Garage Project, we'd never filtered our beers. So, I mean, a lot of our beers had always been, you know, like less than absolutely bright. I always felt like filtration pulled out flavour. And so for me, you know, the, the equation of just pulling out that extra flavour just so you could have bright beer seemed like a shame. So uh, we'd always been a little bit hazy, but then um, Joss and I went for a trip over to the States, um, up to Vermont, and Vermont was the, the, the birthplace of this incredibly, like, thick sort of style of, of hazy. But, you know, we tried a, a lot of them, and, I mean, you know, there's a lot that I loved, but they were also incredibly sweet, you know, they were almost sickly, you know, and, and for me, I was like, oh, like, I, I love a lot of that, but it's not necessarily to my taste. So we came back and I, I made Party and Bullshit, which is hazy, but still has, I think, like a, a, a lovely kind of a balance of bitterness and hop flavour. Um, and at the time, we, we just to be just to be dickheads, we, we launched it uh, at the West Coast IPA Challenge. Um, but then called it Party and Bullshit, which, you know, is a biggie small song from the East Coast. Um, so playing on that kind of East Coast, West Coast uh, rap feud thing. So we dropped this beer, a completely inappropriate style in this East Coast. Oh, my God, it made some people so furious. Like, you know, what, what, what is this? What the hell is this? It looks like soup, uh, uh, which is exactly what we were wanting. I do... I do like to upset people occasionally, not in a bad way. Um, disrupt, let's say that. Um, so that was great fun. And look, party and bullshit is still around. And I have people often say, "Pete, what's your favourite beer?" And I, I, I tell them that you can't possibly say what your favourite beer is because it's like your children. You know, some days you might like one slightly more than the other due to its behaviour, but you know, you love them all <laughs> equally. Um, but you know, if I really had to say one of the beers that I love most, I mean, um, party and bullshit is very close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, it, I mean, it is interesting. I think, you know, some of this is just, uh, 
you know, obviously a willingness to try new things. It's also, and I and I have to, you know, uh, give some ups to Joss, who's my business partner. I've never met anyone who has this sort of uncanny ability to sniff out trends and zeitgeists before anyone else is aware of it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely, it's his, his hidden skill or not so hidden skill. His quirk is that he can sense these things. So he's always been very good at sort of saying, Oh, Pete, you know, you should look at this. This is, this is interesting. Um, and we've always been willing to, to play around and do it. How did you go about building from, you you know, like award-winning beers and cult status for, um, from the, you know, pure early adopters, people who really knew this to, um, you you know, like your growth as a company mirrors the growth of the craft beer scene where it's gone from being a, you know, almost a joke in some places. Um, you, you, you know, it was a punchline for a while to now yeah. all of the kind of spirit of craft beer is in every supermarket, every grocer, every fridge. I think an important thing to point out is that really quite early on in our history as a business, Joss and I made a decision to remove the word craft off mm. anything that we do. So we've never tried to call ourselves a craft brewery. We always just wanted to call ourselves a brewery. And one of the reasons for that, I mean, I I sensed that there was a kind of a, a snobbery entering uh, the culture. Um, and I mean, look, I, I love beer. I love all beer equally. If, if you told me that um, Lion Red, the mighty Lyon Rouge, was your favourite beer, I would respect that enormously. I would never tell you that it was shit. Um, you know, I think all beers are fun. And the, that, that snobbery that was creeping in disturbed me. It felt like we were starting to become more like wine had been. Um, and that wasn't something that I liked. I've always felt like people should be completely comfortable uh, to just love whatever beers they like. So we took the word craft off. Um, and we've always talked as well about being you know, loved locally. And it's something we've definitely achieved um, in some places in Wellington and hopefully further afield. Um, so, you know, as well as those incredibly out there beers, I'm, I'm also, in, I love making beers that are simpler. Um, one of my favourite stories was that I was in Australia. I had, it was, it was quite early on in the piece and I had to do a, a, a tasting at a pub in Sydney and I arrived a bit early. So I got myself a pint and I was just sitting down by myself and there were these two Aussies sitting at a table beside me. And one of them was like, oh, these guys from our garage project are coming later and they're going to, they're going to do like a tasting. They're crazy. They do like beers with mango and chili and then they've got this one called beer, and it's just like VB, only better. And I was just, I had this magical moment. It's just, you know, beer, beer is this, it's the white can with the generic kind of just beer word. And, and it's designed to be the simplest, uh, most delicious expression uh, of, of beer. It's, there's, there's, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just great ingredients, hopefully brewed very well um but that the accolade that it's like vb only better ah, well it must have been one of my proudest moments simon um so you know i think offering people a whole range of 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 beers um you know i think one of the things that satisfies me most is when you meet somebody um and they say they don't like beer and 
you're able to just say, well, hang on, um, and you find something and you give it to them to try and just see their face change and they're like, oh, my goodness, you know, like I, I didn't know beer could taste like that. So I think the fact that we offer an enormous range of beers from the very out there to the incredibly accessible and on the way there's these lovely paths that take you everywhere through sourness, fruitiness, colour, you know, uh, juicy aromatic hops bitterness there's just so many possibilities um and i think you know hopefully there's something for absolutely everybody uh in that range because beer should never be snobby yes something you mentioned there about design is something i'd love to pick up on as part Mm. of the success of garage project as well is a lot of beer felt like, you know, branding-wise and attitude-wise, maybe a bit teenage boy, you know? And a lot of the branding and a lot of the stuff, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a 16-year-old's got hold of Photoshop and they're off, you know? While Garage Project yeah. has always had, like, um, it hasn't been so gendered, you know? There's always been a lot of room where it hasn't felt just like a boy's thing. Um, there's been stuff that's had that, you know, real sense of humour, like the beer can that you mentioned, or White Mischief, mm. which is one of my favourites, where, you know... I must have been drinking that for about two years before one one evening we were sitting there having fish and chips with it. And I was like, holy shit, they're all going for it. <laughs> all the rabbits yeah, little, on the little can. Little rabbits copulating all over the can. Um, we launched that beer. We launched White Mischief at the at the Burger Beer Challenge in Wellington. Uh, um, somebody we know was working as a waiter uh, in one of the sort of bars that were, were, had a Burger Beer match with it. And this, this elderly kind of octogenarian couple came and shuffling in and they said oh you know we'd like to have the burger beer match and he was like "Ooh, this will be interesting so he pops the burgers down pops the beers down and then he walked past later and noticed that the you know that the elderly gentleman had put his glasses on and was looking at this can and he leant forward to his wife and and pointed to one of them and went Deirdre do you remember that one and I think that's just the best story ever I like to think that that can has has breathed some fresh fresh energy into relationships all over the place um, I lo- love it and, and that kind of like you know yeah, yeah, that kind of subtle sense of humour there but also the kind of like a lot of sophisticated design a lot of like really interesting stuff and an incredible breadth right but still mm. there's a feeling of like you know the the the, the pretentious thing to say would be the brand DNA is still, you know, present um, through everything, even though they're all so very different. Can you tell me a bit about your approach to that? Absolutely. And look, this is a very, I mean, this is very topical, Simon. So when we started Garage Project, Joss and I, you know, we had this idea that every beer would have, you know, its its own art. And that, that goes... It, it goes deeper than that. I, I always felt like it was important that every beer we produced had its own story, you know, and that story, you know, you, you look at the bottle, the experience starts before you've even opened it. And you look at the art, you read the back of the label, you know, I do a little blurb on every can. So you read about it, hopefully it intrigues you, it excites you, and then, you know, you open the bottle or crack the can and then obviously the, the product inside has to live up to everything that you've put on the outside. But the whole thing becomes a sort of holistic experience. Um, you know, you're, you're on, a, on a journey. It is a story. Um, and, you know, we had this idea of unique art for each beer. And uh, like a, a brand guru that we knew was like, you can't do this. This is, um, 
This is brand suicide. If you guys go ahead with this, you know, you need to be able to see your brand clearly from 15 feet away. And if you can't do that, you're dead. You're dead in the water. Uh, and we we totally ignored them uh, and, and just went off on this tangent of having unique art for everything. Um, and it worked for us for a very, very long time because, you know, people would see absurd, crazy art and then would just know that it was Garage Project. That became our brand. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Joss and I are deeply involved in the look and feel of every single can we do. Um, but obviously a lot of the, the you know, a lot of the praise has to go to the artists. We've had some amazing people doing it. But what's happened now, I mean, I don't when, you know, if you go down to the the craft beer store or the supermarket and you look down the aisle, it is just this enormous explosion of art and colour. You know, everybody now does that. And, you know, Joss and I recently have really been asking ourselves, you know, is... is what do we do? What do you do when, you know, the thing that, that you hung your hat on is becomes the thing that everyone else is also doing? Um, so you might notice, I mean, some of our, some of our kind of um, newer releases, things like Chipper and Tiny, um, we've actually had fun going back to a more kind of like simple paired back graphic design. Um, I mean, that's important, especially if you're, you know, on a shelf competing with lots of other people. I mean, there's still ample scope for us to be having a great time uh, with artists for our direct-to-consumer stuff that we sell, especially through, you know, specialist bottle stores or, or, the, or the internet. But you've got to cut through that noise. It's, it's just... It's an enormous, it's a, it's a colour explosion. It's an art bomb uh, in the supermarket these days. So, yeah, look, that's, that's really interesting. I wouldn't want to ever give up this idea of creating, like, you know, having fun with artists and doing stuff. I mean, it is. It, it still remains hugely exciting. Um, but I also, you know, love that kind of super pared back clean look that we've got for some things now. Yeah, love it. And we'll be back in a moment with Pete to talk sustainability, creativity, values, and what's next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. 
Welcome back to Business is Boring, where we're talking with Pete Gillespie, head brewer and co-founder at Garage Project. So, yeah, like, once something's a success, everyone's kind of like, oh, of course it would be. But like you just were mentioning before, you know, you broke a lot of the rules. You were doing things that were years ahead of things that became kind of mainstream successful. Uh, You invented your own kind of brand codes and stuff. Like, were there any moments along the way where... You know, it was it was shaky, or, or when did you start to know that it was um, it was having that kind of cultural impact, and it was and it was working. I don't I don't know if we've ever got to that point, Simon. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. No, genuine. Look, I I, I don't know. I, I, th- I suspect, and it's wonderful to hear that GP looks so incredibly monolithic on the outside. But I, I mean, I think probably probably partly because we're constantly doing new things. I don't think we've ever lost that kind of slightly terrified manic energy on the inside. I mean, it's worth pointing out we did the 24-24 in back, back at the beginning in 2011. We've beaten that record every single year since, I think. I mean, I, I, we did like over 80 beers, I think, last year, brand new, uh, and most of them in package with their own art, all completely different beers. So there, there is like a real manic energy I mean, I was speaking to, a, like, the whole team, I think, last year, and I, I just feel sometimes it feels like someone, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you ever run down a really steep hill, like, really steep hill, and you start running, and you're running straight down this hill, and you know that if you try and stop, you're just going to come a cropper, you're going to, like, fall over. So you just have to kind of trust and just keep running you cannot stop you cannot change direction you just have to keep going and sometimes garage project definitely feels like that i'm always i always feel really good when people tell me that it looks like it's a success um on the inside it often feels exactly the same like quite quite raw manic um yeah yeah which is good. I mean, I think that energy probably sustains us and keep things creative. I don't think we've ever uh, really got to a state where we're getting complacent. <laughs> It'd probably be nicer to make it a little bit easier. I'm really sure. Let's look at some of those really fun creative things, like the wine project and i mean that that stuff um you know if you're looking at it from a business lens i'll bet you know your your accountant or your your business people like oh boy i don't know how we're going to make this one work on paper like it must have been done for the love of it rather than oh i think there's going to be a great big business here right like that, that kind of stuff is so um so loved and so much work goes into it and such small volumes yeah. So, I mean, Joss, Joss has been the, the person behind the wine because he has a real passion for it, for natural wine. I have a very unusual form of attention deficit disorder. If anyone talks about wine, I get a little bit bored and wander off. Um, <laughs> I love some of the stuff that Joss has created, but I mean, my, my passion has always been beer. Um, so, I mean, I can speak to the Wild Workshop, which is obviously, you know, I think those two things are very, I mean, they are, they're deeply entwined. Uh, so wild beer and, and natural wine. And there's an enormous, a real similarity between the two products. Uh, I mean, they both, they both are drawing inspiration from, you know, incredibly traditional sources while also being incredibly innovative at the same time it's i mean it's quite fascinating if no one's come across wild beer before it is essentially 
the difference is like sourdough compared to, you know, normal Vogel's bread. You know what I mean? It's it, normal bread is delicious, uh, but sourdough, you know, I mean, we all probably, I think every single human being in New Zealand during lockdown, we all made sourdough, didn't we? Um, and, you know, you, you, you creating this sort of batter and inviting this sort of like wild yeast and bacteria to come and, and, and get stuck in. And that, that is what wild beer is. And, you know, it's, it's how beer started. Uh, imagine, imagine those early people who, you know, had sort of a, a sweet multi liquid that suddenly started fermenting and then they drank it afterwards and life would have been, I imagine, incredibly shitty back then. Uh, and drinking this stuff probably made them feel really good and it would have been a magical experience. Um, so, you know, the wild beer thing has been incredibly fun uh, down here at Marion Street. We've separated it out from uh, Aro. Uh, because if the wild yeasts and, and bacteria that we use down here actually got out in Aro, it would be it would just be disastrous. Uh, very easy to invite things like that into your brewery. Incredibly difficult to get them out again afterwards. Um, but we have a lot of fun down here. But you're right. It's um no, I don't think it ever makes. The, the, the finance department happy. Uh, it really is a passion project, um, and it, it is. It's. Um, it's very different form of brewing down here uh, with this sort of wild beer because what we do is basically you, you set some parameters, but you really are releasing the reins and allowing this yeast and bacteria to do the most incredible things. But, you know, you're much less in control. Um, and, and that's... That's kind of exciting. I mean, your hit rate is definitely lower. Um, you know, up at Aro, we, we really know how to make things do exactly what we want most of the time. Um, but down here, you, you know, you, you set things up, but you're kind of a bit of a passenger as well um, to some extent. Um, but, no, it's fascinating. The wonderful thing, um, you know, it's, it, it's a very small audience who, you know, are receptive to really, really you know, spontaneous wild beer, sour beer. Um, it is a small audience. But the beauty of this product is that you can actually send it anywhere. Most beer needs to be drunk incredibly fresh. So if you get hold of a, of a hoppy beer, I hope, I hope that it is, you know, really fresh in pack and has been kept cold the whole time because otherwise the flavours deteriorate. Uh, the things that we produce at the Wild Workshop, I mean, honestly, you could shoot that stuff at Mars and it would turn up tasting incredible. Um, it's like wine. It will, it will last and even improve in bottle over time. Um, so that's a fascinating thing. We used to export quite a lot, Simon. We used to export to Sweden, Norway, Norway, America, um, all over the place. And to be absolutely honest, we, I mean, one of the reasons that we pulled back from doing it was that we really didn't have enough beer to be able to do that. We needed to sell it in New Zealand and Australia. Um, but also, you know, if, uh, distance is difficult for beer. You know, the last thing that I want is for someone sitting in Norway to get a garage project beer to try it and for it to not be as fantastic as it could be because I don't think they'll think, gosh, that's a bit old. They'll just be like, mm, I don't think garage project's very good. Um, so we've been very mindful of that. Um, but the stuff that we produce at the Wild Workshop, it, it opens up that 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 world to us again. It's quite exciting. Another journey that you've been on as a business um, has been the sustainability one, which is something you're really passionate about. Hey, like, t t tell me about that. Because um, I imagine when you create a 
good that's in, you know, cans and with nice packaging and stuff, there's a bit mm. of a footprint behind you. So how do you address that? And what are some of the things that you've been doing? Look, I mean, it's a really interesting one, Simon. I feel like, I, like I've always felt, and I think everyone at GP has always felt quite passionate about sustainability. But when you first start, I mean, you, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, you really, you've got to get past the sort of the, the very basics of life to be able to achieve some higher level of being. Um, and that really has been the case with sustainability. I mean, in the early years of Garage Project, survival was our number one priority um, beyond anything else. Um, but, you know, I think as we've grown, one of the huge benefits of having become a much bigger business uh, is I hope that it affords us the opportunity to uh, be a better corporate citizen, for want of a better word. You know, I think there's there's definitely, uh, like, we have a duty of care um, that if you can do a better job at things, you really should be doing a better job of things. Uh, you know, you have, you have also a... a, a a way of talking to people. So being able to try and promote these things, I think is something that you should be doing as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the best things we've ever done, we've, we've got a chap called Steve here. Um, he's the most talented individual ever. His background's in design. We used to call him black ops because he would do literally anything. Whatever you set for him, he will, he will do it. You want him to create uh, like a, a shuffleboard table, he'll do it. But he's also got a deep passion for sustainability. And, and we made him our sustainability officer. And having him come on board was one of the greatest things that we've done. Uh, it's been awesome. And really digging into just, you know, how can we be better at everything we do? And look, I really, you know, I don't want to say that we're the best at doing this it's definitely a journey um but it's something that we're we're very committed to trying to do i've visited some breweries in america and the things that they do you know when sierra nevada i think are probably the most incredible brewery i've ever been to uh they obviously they're huge uh they have the money to be able to do this kind of thing but they have solar panels on every possible surface uh, they capture all of their carbon dioxide and reuse it. All of their trade waste gets treated uh, and the, the gas that comes off that gets reused. They're, they're pretty close to being a, the most sustainable brewery that I've ever seen. And I, I found that incredibly inspiring to see what was possible. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's something that we do aspire to. Um, and, you know, projects like we just released a beer called Tree Hugger um, and, that was fun, but basically we looked at every possible aspect uh, of its of its production, from where we got the ingredients from, how we moved things, the packaging, the process, uh, and tried to make sure that everything we did in that process was the most sustainable thing we could do. Uh, and the idea being that all of the things that work really well, we will then propagate out uh, to everything else at GP. Uh, and the things that don't work so well, well, we'll keep tinkering away at that. Um, so, yeah, um, that's been great fun. And that beer, a dollar from every six-pack, um, goes straight towards trees that will be planted in Canterbury. The reason for that is that I spent 
I grew up in Canterbury. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's absolutely bugger all native forest left in Canterbury. And an old friend of mine is part of Trees for Canterbury. So they grow the trees and give them directly to grassroots community projects. So look, it, it, it seemed like a fun thing. I have to say, though, it's interesting. You know, I, I feel very passionate about things like this. But I bumped into someone the other day who was like, oh, that's just greenwashing. And it's, oh, look, isn't it? It's difficult. I'm not going to stop doing things like this. But, you know, it, isn't it tricky when you, you try and do things that are, that are you know, good and, and, and they are perceived as just being being greenwashing? I, th- I think it's greenwashing if you're kind of pretending to or purporting to do things, but most of what you do is terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yes. you get to this point where if people go, oh, well, you can't do anything better, well, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting one. Um, we will, however, continue to try and improve everything we possibly can. Um, yeah. I mean, a fascinating thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the news a lot at the moment, but this CO2 crisis. Um, so anyone who hasn't heard, uh, they must have been living uh, under a rock somewhere in the bush. Um, but basically, um, New Zealand is close to running out of carbon dioxide. And this affects an enormous number of industries, uh, but brewing is definitely one of them. Um, and look, it's potentially catastrophic for for a lot of brewers. Um, you know, it's something that we use carbon dioxide. Beer naturally produces carbon dioxide, but we use a lot of it in, in the process. Um, and it's a byproduct of um, refining oil. Uh, so, obviously, as we phase that out, um, it will become more challenging. But it's, yeah, potentially catastrophic. But I have to say the silver lining to this is that it will prompt all of us in the brewing industry and other industries, I think, uh, to look at ways of doing things better. I mean, we're just about to install uh, a special unit which will reclaim all of the carbon dioxide that we produce through fermentation. So yeast produces carbon dioxide. We're going to capture it, um, clean it, compress it, and reuse it in the brewery. And that will basically fulfil 70% of our CO2 needs, uh, and then we're just looking at ways that we can actually then top that up, perhaps with nitrogen or something else, so that we could be completely sustainable. So uh, this this current moment is incredibly painful, um, but ultimately, I mean, I'm I'm quite excited at the prospect that we could actually be completely self-sufficient in carbon dioxide. That'd be great. Ah, that's so cool. And mm, it is cool, isn't it? I mean, yeah. yeah it is. It's, it's really cool to find that opportunity in that moment. Um, and, and what are the next steps for Garage Project? Like you were saying, it still feels like you're on the downhill. <laughs> which, that, yeah, like, like what it, where do you see Garage Project? Um, and, and, you know, the way that we're drinking and enjoying beer and, and other beverages that you make over the next five years? That's a very good question. I mean, I feel like uh, Garage Project is obviously, I mean, we are loved locally in Wellington. We are really, we're very Wellington brand. We've started to spread out, but I think over the next five years, I'd love us to have more of a presence around New Zealand and, and in Australia as well. You know, I feel like one thing that we have not managed to achieve that we've wanted to over the years is to potentially have, you know, some more spaces where people can come and enjoy Garage Project. I mean, one of the things we do 
really well, I think, if I had to pick something, is um, beer festivals. You know, things like Beer Vana. Uh, we, we put an enormous amount of energy into those places to create like essentially a theatrical experience we've always felt like people spend a lot of money to go to a craft beer festival uh, and they deserve having something more than just the same beers that they always get when they go to the pub so there has to be something different um, so we've I think we've done that really pretty well uh, and the idea of us being able to have spaces where we can, you know, almost recreate some of that fun for people uh, that they can come to any time, I think would be really appealing. We'd love to, you know, have some more spaces in Auckland, spaces in Australia. So that's definitely something that we would we would really love. Um, continuing sustainability, obviously, over that time. I mean, if we're talking about beer trends over the next five years, that's fascinating. You know, uh, Simon, one of the most interesting things that's happened over the last couple of years has been the rise of non-alcoholic beer. I I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Did anyone really see that coming? Um, are we... It's very interesting. I, 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 was, I was quite sick for a couple of years um, and... I really I, I felt for my health it was important not to drink any alcohol to try and get better. So it was this, I had a moment where I was trying a lot of non-alcoholic beer and God, it was pretty grim. Uh, it felt like a chore rather than a pleasure. So, you know, I, 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 it really motivated me to try and create something like a non-alcoholic beer. And it probably was the biggest project we've ever done at Garage Project. We you know, pursued all sorts of different avenues. Um, and then eventually we settled on, you know, a, a type of restrained fermentation. Uh, and gosh, we worked so hard. I think we threw away close to 10,000 litres of beer, just, you know, trying over and over again to get it right. And then the result of all of that was Tiny. Um, and we released Tiny and thought it was kind of fun that we'd done a non-alcoholic beer. Um, and we're completely unprepared for how successful it would be i mean it it kicked off it kicked off around christmas um and i just assumed that it was you know people going to parties and feeling like they needed to drive afterwards but it's just kept going it's a very interesting kind of change shift in people's drinking behavior i mean a lot of people it's not like they're stopping alcohol completely but they're just you know putting a few non-alcoholic beers in the mix so that it just balances things out. Maybe it's just us all staying home during COVID uh, and perhaps overindulging. I'm not sure. Uh, or maybe it's just a bit of a shift towards looking after ourselves better in a world that maybe feels, um, I don't know, a little difficult sometimes. Seems positive, though. Or if you've decided that you should really only be having alcoholic drinks two or three days a week tops, it's a very good way to be able to crack something after you've done the lawns. Absolutely. That keeps you in that you know, zone. <laughs> I, I bumped into someone the other day and, I, and they, they were like, Pete, that tiny is, is amazing. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you. Because genuinely, that is it's the nicest thing you can ever hear as a brewer is somebody telling you that they love your beer. Um, but he was like, oh, I love it. And he's like, you know, I, I like to drink three beers a night. And he was like, you know, but this craft beer, uh, you know, some of them, and obviously this is the thing, craft beer has, you know, we've, we produce, routinely produce beers that are 7, 8, 9, 10, <laughs> 11%. And he's like, you know, I, I can't drink three of those. So he says, I have two tinies and then I have a can of something else. And I just thought that was, isn't that interesting? That's not what I thought people were doing. Um, 
But, you know, he was just sort of just creating like a little bit of balance, basically having one beer a night, but feeling like he was having three. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Love it. And as a final thought, Pete, like what will success be for you and for Garage Project? That is a, it's a, look, that's a really good question. And you'd think that I could just come back with a, with a really snappy answer to that. You know, part of me, success was just getting a brewery off the ground. Simon, I mean, this, this was a passion project, you know? So, I mean, I remember the moment that we, we got our, not the little tiny kit, but we actually installed our proper brewery and just feeling absolutely fantastic about that. So, you know, that was success already. Um, so everything from there has just been, you know, positive, but what does it mean moving forward? I think, we're definitely grown as a brewery. We're no longer like a, a, a tiny little brewery. We, you know, we're bigger. We won champion large brewery in New Zealand last year at the craft. At the, uh, sorry, at the New Zealand Brewers Awards. So that means that we're we've moved up. We're we're no longer competing essentially against the other small breweries. We're we're up with the big boys with Lion DB and. Uh, Part of me quite likes that. I quite like the idea of, you know, essentially I think we were almost like the large spotty adolescent sitting in the kids' pool. No one likes a spotty adolescent in the kids' pool. Get out of the kids' pool. Um, And now we've sort of, we have to like pad our way across and and it's time to get into the big pool um, with with the proper, with the big boys. And, you know, I, I quite like that. It's interesting, you know, there's definitely there's moments where we've felt like there's been a bit of sort of tall poppy, you know, garage project. I, I used to like you when you were small. I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. And I like the challenge now of potentially, you know, getting into that big pool, uh, new challenges, um, you know, it, uh, it excites me. Being a large brewery, but doing something different, doing something new. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story of Garage Project so far today and uh, giving so generously of your story and your time. My pleasure. It was lovely to chat to you too. Thank you. So that's Pete Gillespie of, uh, of Garage Project. Cheers. So thank you so much to Pete Gillespie co-founder and head brewer at Garage Project. Thank you for listening and having us along as ever. Thank you to everyone who helps make this happen. Like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.